Thanks for joining us here on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so you can save more and spend less. And don't let anyone ever rip you off. Clark.com is our web address. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. Coming up in 20 minutes in today's Clark Radius moment, Apple is up to some no good right now. And if you are devoted to your iPhone, you are going to be really upset with them. And coming up a half hour from now, I'm a big fan of people being able to work remotely, work from their home, being able to avoid commuting, teleworking, whatever you want to call it. But now one of the pioneers in working from home is ordering everybody back to the office or else. I'll fill you in on all that in just 30. Right now I want to talk about a three-month experiment that the Three Stooges here on the Clark Howard Show have been engaged in. Me, Kim, and Joel have been using an app called Quality Time. And this app is designed to get you to wake up to how much of your day or week you're spending online instead of with your family, with your friends. You're just looking at your phone, using various apps, surfing on Chrome or whatever. And so it's time for my report card. Let me give you week by week, since we started this, what my weekly usage has been. I'm going to skip minutes. I'm just going to give you hours. First week, 10 hours. Next week, 11 hours. Next week, 10 hours. Next week, 10. Next week, 10. Next week, 7. Following week, 9. Then 8. 9. 9. And so far this week, I guess we can't even count this one. It's looking like an hour a day. Joel? Yeah, I'm pretty much right in there where it's uh, they're all ranged between 7 and 12. And I don't know about you, but the app, I feel like the app usage, it's pretty much the same apps that I use all the time. What about you, Clark? Well, I already closed that, Joel. That's not fair. You didn't tell all right, well, me. Well, I'll say, well, I, I use Chrome a lot. I, I For some reason, I use my flashlight way more than a person should use their flashlight on their phone. I guess I'm looking for like my kids' toys and shoes underneath the bed or something way too often. Uh, text messaging, Instagram, and Waze, because when I drive home, got to use Waze every day to get home. And what do you find on yours? I did not think it was going to go this way with the three of us, but um, I seem to uh, vary between a low of eight hours a week and my highest week is 24 hours. But I'd like to say a couple of things. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say a couple of things about this. One is that I usually go to the gym for at least an hour a day, and I always watch an hour-long television show on my phone. So that's that's you know that's seven hours right there. That's something. And the other is you know like Joel said, there's terrible traffic in town, so a lot of my usage is ways you know trying to get around. But um, but yeah, that's 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 all I got. I have a I have a, a shocking amount of time sending text messages. So show me how I go back to the weeks, Joel, so I can see what I'm using. So I don't want to make you feel worse, but, you know, I'm on my phone the whole time while I'm working out, too. Really? Yeah. (laughs) So my number one is Chrome, followed by the Wall Street Journal, followed by Gmail, followed by the New York Times, Business Week. Surprise, surprise. It's a bunch of Maps. periodicals. USA Today. All right. All right. So I, I'm driving home and I'm using Waze, but I'm also driving home and listening to podcasts the whole time. So the app that I use for podcasts, Podcast Attic, is super, super high. And then it's like, you know, Netflix, Hulu, Voodoo for all the TV watching. My 
Chrome. And then another one that's really high on mine is um, Glasses Off, which is something else that I want to talk to you about soon, but it's an app I've been testing for the show. So that does not count. Okay. So, <laughs> Kim, you were sure that this was going to heal me oh my gosh. of using my phone way too much? Yeah, it did something else instead, huh? What did it do instead? I don't know. It made me a little more self-aware. Yeah, so that's the idea. If you feel like you need to really check up on how much you're addicted to your phone, download the app Quality Time. And we're all three Android people. Can you use it on iPhone? I don't think so. Um, I do think in the original article that we wrote about it on Clark.com, we put in an iPhone alternative, um, and I know Joel's looking it up right now. I'll tell you one other thing that Quality Time taught me, though, that shocked me almost more than the amount of time I was on, because honestly, I never looked at this per week thing until right now, so I'm still a little shocked. But prior, it does tell you how many times you unlock your phone each day, and that blew my mind because I mean 744 times like even if you're just looking at it for a second to use it as a timepiece it counts and I get that but at the same point that means that I I mean over a hundred times a day I am picking up this thing and at least looking at the time and if there's a message on there I'm probably going to open it up and look at it so by the way the iPhone alternative is called moment if you want to see if you are addicted to your phone and uh, Kim, you sounded like a classic addict. I am, explanation. I am really shocked at myself right now. Speaking of that, that's why I took Facebook off my phone. And I know you could just turn the notifications off, but it was a good excuse just to delete it altogether because I was just looking at it. Like I had a free moment and I'd just pop it open or uh, I, my pocket would buzz and it would notify me that somebody posted something important and I like Pavlov's I did, dog, I would, I I would open it. I did the same thing per Joel's suggestion. I took Facebook off my phone too, but right, so I, must tell I you, must be doing other stuff. <laughs> I must tell you, I am very surprised because I thought what I would find is that I was on my phone 10 hours a day, not 10 hours a week. Yeah. So I'm using it much, much less than I realized. My family's convinced I'm on it 10 hours a day. So now I have proof positive over three months that they are absolutely wrong about. No, I can't say wrong. They are mistaken. <laughs> I think you are mistaken. Cindy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Cindy. Hello. How are you doing? I'm fabulous. How are you? I'm having a great day. Wonderful. I have a question. I'm um, ready. You, you Are you ready for my question? I sure am. <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, you did a show, and part of the information you gave was if you save $2,000 from the time that you're 15 to 22, and I shouldn't say save, invest, by the time you're 65, you'll be a millionaire. I have a 14-year-old. Um, it is my last of four. And she was very intrigued by that, um, immediately got online, started looking at possible job opportunities over the summer, which I thought was fabulous. Um, okay, I am I, so impressed. <laughs> How did you instill that kind of work ethic in a 14-year-old? Well, her three older brothers and sisters all own their own businesses. I own my own business, and it's just been a uh, something she has grown up um, to see and see how it works and see how we work our lives around our own businesses and the freedoms that we have from that um, and the discipline that we have with that. Well, I'm going to send you my uh, my kids for the summer. Let's see if you can instill <laughs> some of that. <laughs> It'd be awesome. We'll have fun. Out here in Arizona, we'll probably spend the summer in the pool. But uh, um, the question was, if... Um, Last summer, we did a program. During the summer, we try to learn different things and take the time to to visit things here in the city. But I wanted to find a finance program that we could focus on for the summer that would teach her, as well as I'm sure us, um, applicable ways to make possibly just changes in the home and just something that, you know, we've got homework each week and I'm, I'm looking for some sort of program. Do you have something like that for families? Well, I did write a book that's called Clark Smart Parents, Clark Smart Kids, but okay. I've got a free website. You'd have to pay for that. So I got something free. 
Okay. There's a website called um, Money Confident Kids that is done by T. Rowe Price, and it does a great job teaching kids from, uh, and, it, and it gets from very elementary for very young kids to more sophisticated as kids learn more and get older, mm-hmm. teaching kids about money. And I really like what they've done. It's okay, set up that, where teachers, home? yeah, where teachers can teach kids about money. And if you have trouble finding it, just do a Google search, money confident kids. Okay. And, and you'll be able to see the various lessons. And they're set up where either a teacher can use it as a classroom curriculum for kids, or you as a parent can guide your 14-year-old on things that they would help her know about money. Wonderful. And there, there's a lot of stuff that people are trying to do to get kids on the right path about money. And for some reason, it's not really sinking in particularly well. But with a case like your daughter, because she's already motivated and she is a goal setter, I think it will work very well for her. That's wonderful. We, we have set her on a mission now to pick out three cars that she thinks she'll be able to afford when she's 16 because I've never believed in buying your kids' cars. And she has to download the pictures, the price, and then set a goal on how she plans to be able to purchase that within the next two years. Um, so that's, that was one, one kind of homework assignment she had this week. So we will definitely check out that website. And, uh, All right, one we'll thing I want your daughter to look at, and she researches cars, is uh-huh. I want her only to look at cars that have electronic stability control. Oh. It's the most important safety feature that can keep a kid alive as a new driver on the road. Uh-huh. And we were in a situation just about two weeks ago. We were in a rainstorm on the freeway, and a car lost control, an SUV lost control next to us. And I immediately was trying to get out of the way because it looked like it was going to roll. It was going to flip. And it was like magic. The electronic stability control seized the car and ultimately kept it upright. And it is a phenomenal safety device because especially with a new driver, there's a tendency when you get into trouble to try to oversteer. Right. And and then it's going to get really, really bad. Especially in wet conditions. Yeah. Right. So the electronic stability control is one of the most unappreciated, or at least underappreciated, safety devices that has come along in the last 10 years, and people don't even know to look for it or ask for it. And what year car did they start putting it on? Do you know? I think it was 05, but only on rich people's cars back then, and uh-huh. now it's universal, but... Your daughter will likely be looking at a used car, so it's right. hit or miss with the used cars. Right. Okay, that's good advice. Thank you. We will steer her in that direction. I'll tell you the funniest thing about summer in Arizona for my young son, when I took him to Phoenix and Tucson, mm-hmm. is he'd never seen swimming pools that had to have cooling jets to cool <laughs> the temperature in the water so you wouldn't scald yourself. Trying to explain that to a then seven-year-old was very, very confusing for him. Today's Clark Rageous moment is something you need to be aware of if you are ultra-loyal to the iPhone. Apple, behind your back, is stabbing you in the back. Scams, rip-offs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. Apple is spending big money in the states where legislatures have introduced bills that would give you what's known as a right to repair, where you, if you want to put a new battery in your iPhone or you want to do whatever repair to it, Apple doesn't want this in the worst way. They want your phone to become obsolete. And so they're spending money on lobbyists to fight any of these bills that would give you the right to repair. This is ridiculous. It's the same kind of junk that has gone on in the car business 
with automakers trying to prevent the access to information for independent repair shops. And this is just flat out piggy. Apple is one of the most profitable companies in the world, sits on a stash of cash that may be somewhere near half a trillion dollars, and this is not how you should treat your most loyal customers. I want you to know it's not just Apple that is fighting against these laws. There was a story that Vice did that found that in addition, Verizon is funding lobbyists against these laws that would give you the right to repair. I don't know what Verizon has to gain from being involved in that. And Toyota has been involved, I guess, for the previously mentioned thing about you having information where you could do a repair to your own car or an independent shop could have the information to do a repair to your own car. And I just am so befuddled why people at companies that are so successful would want to go to war with their own loyal customers. And that's why it is truly Clark-rageous. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Glad you're with us here on The Clark Howard Show, where you learn ways to keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our web address, clark.com slash ask to ask a question. Or you can go on clark.com, look down our home screen, and see how to get free off-the-air advice 45 hours each week from a member of Team Clark, the service of our show for just a hair under 25 years. For probably that long or longer, IBM has been one of the great innovators in allowing people to work from home, work remotely, live in one city, work in another. And IBM, in fact, has over the years been a huge proponent of people at other companies working remotely, working at home. But now in a major corporate shift, turning back the clock decades, IBM has given all its remote workers an ultimatum. You either move to where there's an IBM facility, start coming to the IBM facility near where you are, or you're fired. It's so weird. Because it's at a time that the movement generally in industry is in jobs that it works for, for the convenience of the employee, but more often for the employer. People can work from home one to five days a week, depending on what the employer permits. And this is something that saves employers money because they're not having to provide space for you. They're not having to provide utilities for that space and all the rest. So why is IBM turning back to a completely different direction than what they've been about for so long? They believe that people will be more productive in the office and that people will be able to collaborate on projects better working together. And who knows if they're right or wrong. Maybe maybe they're right. I don't know. But it is distressing because so many people have had a significant increase in quality of life from being able to work remotely or work from home. I think about all the situations where people might have a sick child and they're able to stay home that day, take care of the child, and continue working rather than having zero productivity for the employer, having to take a family day or sick day or vacation day, whatever an employer calls it. I mean, the loss to an employer 
by not allowing people to work from home seems so significant. Maybe there's somewhere between somebody being able to work at home all the time and work at home a day or two a week. But for now, IBM says you show up at the office or else. Carrie is with us on the Clark Howard Show. You want to talk about a budget. How are you? Yes, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Good, thanks. So tell me where you are with handling money. I feel that, uh, that my husband and I are, are doing very good. We don't have a whole lot of debt. Um, but we don't have, I want to start doing a weekly allowance. So we're not just swiping our bank card because it seems that $15 here, $6 there, it just it adds up so quick. And I feel if we give ourselves an adult allowance, that it will help us with that. So I, was I sure. agree. I agree not a little bit. I agree 100%. Good. Because Good. I have found over the years when, uh, for TV, when I do sessions with couples about they're having, they're not like you, they're having, they're in a different situation. They're actually having severe financial stress. You're not having right. that. You just want to be better. But I yeah. find with them, that when a couple comes to me and they are in a situation where the money keeps evaporating, that the key to healing that is going on a cash allowance instead of using the debit card. The debit card, a lot of people fool themselves into thinking the debit card keeps you out of financial trouble, but the debit card can get you in essentially as much financial trouble as a credit card. Right. So I like the idea of you as a couple going on a cash allowance. Yes. And now I just need to know, is there a magical formula that, that nope. we kind of plug in? Or, nope. Or what you do... do uh, all right. Here's how I like for you to look at it. What financial goals are you trying to meet as a couple? Are you trying to save a certain amount of your pay? Are you trying to build up a rainy day account? Whatever that is, you come up with an amount that you want to make sure you're funding every pay cycle, every week, every month, whatever it is. And then from that, you'll back into what kind of walking around money you can have each week or each pay period. Okay. So it, it, sometimes, and, and every situation's different, but I love for it to start with the goal. Because if right. you don't have a goal of what you're trying to accomplish – then it's just like being on a diet with no end to what weight you want the scale to be. Right. So, so if you're trying to put aside a greater percent of your pay for retirement, or you're trying to save more money to pay cash for a new car, or you're trying to save for a down payment on a house, whatever that goal is, that's where you start. Rainy day's okay. another place. But, and then you'll see, well wow, we still have X number of dollars per week. Why don't we live on that? Okay. Perfect. Thank you so much. That's sure. great, great info. Well, I hope it works for you as well as it has for others. I, I find that it works best when people are in a crisis. Mm-hmm. You're not in a crisis, so it'll be that the goal is important enough that you go to living on the cash allowance. Right. Well, I think if you're driven enough to, it helps. So we'll drive each other to do it. <laughs> I love that because what you're driving yourself to is financial independence. And a lot of people ask me, what, what is this thing about that I'm about with all the money I save and all that? And I have a number of people who will say to me, what are you going to do? Are you going to be buried with money? Uh-uh. Nothing like that. What living on less than what I make gives me, it gives me choice. It gives me the ability to say right on this microphone what I feel. Because there are times you'll hear me say something about a company that I'm not happy with, and you wonder, how does he say that? You know, he could lose his job. So what? Because you have to be willing to stand up for what you believe, and the financial independence makes that more possible. Lindy's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Lindy. Hi. So you have a question about something that 
feels like the opposite of freedom private mortgage insurance (laughs) yes i hate pmi me too tell me about your story how long ago did you take out the mortgage well we refied about three years ago so we've got a total of three more years left paying pmi which we pay about seven hundred dollars a year so i'm trying to find out my bank has said based on some old information of when we refied that our loan to value ratio is only at 84% and it's got to be, you know, below 80% for them to cancel our PMI, but they're using old data. So I'm confident that we're at those numbers now, but I just don't know if I should go ahead and pay the out-of-pocket cost of the appraisal. Usually if you're really confident based on recent sales that you're going to appraise out, you're going to have to pay Three hundred. Three seventy-five. Okay, three seventy-five. Yes, sir. So the three seventy-five. If you're right that you're going to appraise out, then that's money well spent. Okay. So you know the rules on appraising out of PMI. You have to have been current on all your payments over the last twelve months. Right. And you have to show the the equity with the appraisal. Based on your neighborhood, how many houses are there that are, are there any that are like, is every fifth house like yours? Is there, are there houses that are very similar or are they all individualized? Um, I would say that they are similar. Um, it's a small neighborhood and so just two blocks of houses and our neighborhood actually does pretty well. It's a more established neighborhood, so there's not a lot of people coming in and out. There's not a lot of homes for sale or foreclosures i think that's kind of what makes me nervous is if they have to go outside the neighborhood and use something else i don't know i used to be in real estate so i'm familiar with oh so you know all about getting the comps of recent closes yeah i do i'm kind of, I've, and i've seen like one foreclosure kind of sink a deal before well, yeah, of course <laughs> that's what makes me nervous all right so do you have any buddies that that still sell real estate that you can get them to pull lists for you of recent closings Yes, I actually still have access to that. Great. So, so if, you can, if you can build your case where you feel confident enough that you're going to appraise out, I would go okay. for it. Because okay. who wants to pay PMI when there's not a risk to the lender? Now, right. another question for you. Do you have any cash you could tap if you come close, but you're still a couple of thousand dollars short of appraising we out? We do that. So then you could pay down the balance and still uh, with appraisal not as generous as you'd like but still close enough be done with oh, the PMI just pay off the rest of the PMI you mean yeah, well the the balance that would bring you to the 20% ratio oh i see cuz you're at 83% the, right okay. now yes so the alternative is if you if you were in a position to write the the lender a check that would bring you to what they would already consider to be appraising out without even doing an appraisal you wouldn't have the gamble of paying the three seventy five. Oh, I see. Okay, and that would be towards principal, right? Exactly. Okay. Okay. I'm so then you you'd immediately be able to establish the ratio they would nod to, and, and it you, wouldn't be going just towards interest or something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So you'd get a double benefit from that by once you paid down that dollar of principal, there's never interest charged on it again. And you eliminate the PMI moving forward. That's only, I mean, you got to have cash hanging around you could draw on. But if you do, that's the easiest ticket to get rid of the PMI. Kevin is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Clark. I'm calling from kind of the other side of the fence. And I guess you hear from most people or you see in the news. I, uh, I work for an airline. And I'm wondering about some of my rights, I guess, when customers want to video. Um, the other day I had a customer refusing something to a coworker, and he kind of pulled out his cell phone and wanted to record things. And she was really courteous and professional. But then afterwards we were kind of talking about what our rights are. Um, like, is the jet bridge a public place? Is it valid for customers to video us while we're working or uh, what a great question. And I want to tell you, I express my sympathy to you and every other airline employee because the scrutiny that you're under and the job you do right now is intense 
And nobody else in any workplace in America faces the scrutiny that you face right now. And there's a problem in the culture and the executive suites of the airlines. And it's led to the, the tension that exists on the ground and in the air. And then you're the frontline worker that the customer is suddenly feeling like, well, I'm just going to post this on social media and, and so there. But I'll tell you, somebody who travels virtually every week, the customer's not always right, far from it. But, right, and that's that's some of the stuff that we've discussed. And, I mean, we have our procedures that we follow, and but uh, most of the customers, I guess, they're not familiar with the things we go through, such as overbooking and stuff like that. And I know the process is not perfect, but, uh, I mean, it's getting better based on some of the things that have happened. But my real question is, what rights do you have? People? That is a great yeah. question. So that varies by state. Um, there are many states that are what are called single-party permission, which means that the individual has the right, without even informing you, to record you, audio, or film you with whatever video source they want to. And there are others where it requires what's called two-party permission where you're able to say, you can't film me, you don't have my permission. And it doesn't mean, now let me tell you something, it doesn't matter what the law is in any of the 50 states, because of what happened at United, everybody is going to be suddenly a videographer. And you're not going to be able to stop it, even if in your state at the duty station you work for it's against the law to not, you know, to record without two-party permission. It's not going to stop for a while. This is this is a thing now. And by the way, this is not a thing just in America, Kevin. This is happening all over the world now because of what happened with Dr. Dow and United Airlines. Right. And and I I get that and it it, it makes sense when there's a situation where something's extremely in the wrong like that situation was but on a day-to-day occurrence you know it's a high stress situation as it is sure and then when someone pulls out a phone and starts recording what you're doing while you're at work it makes your job difficult and i don't think people stop to think about that all right often. so let me let me tell you a little story okay my Go father-in-law ahead. and i ran a half marathon together and it towards the end of the half marathon there's the camera position where they take pictures of everybody I was dead exhausted. I was fighting asthma. It was a cold day. But I see those cameras, and I am like hamming it up for that camera with my arms in the air, smiling. My father-in-law next to me looks like death. And the picture is so funny because the picture gives a completely opposite image of what really happened. So, of course, I had to buy that picture and get it 11 by 14 because my father-in-law is a much better athlete than I am. But the point I'm making is that when that phone goes live, keep your cool, smile, and be polite no matter what because the impression and the image people are going to have is of how you are presenting yourself right then. Even if that passenger that customer is being completely unreasonable. Stay cool, stay calm, stay polite. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. I'm so glad you've taken the time to spend part of your day with me on The Clark Howard Show. My job, my goal, my hope is that I give you ideas that will help you save more and spend less and not let anyone ever rip you off. Our web address, Clark.com. When you have a question for me, Clark.com slash ask. And we have off-the-air advice available for you for free, nine hours every weekday. You can see how to get that free off-the-air advice from a member of our team if you go about halfway down our homepage. Something else we have at Clark.com is Clark Stinks. That's our message board where you give me feedback on where you feel I've come up short or failed to give good advice. 
Our producer, Krista, goes through your posts once a week and looks for ones that she would like you to hear right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. What are you starting with today, Krista? Dear Clark, as a faithful, longtime listener, I certainly don't think you stink. However, there is one point of clarification when discussing federal student loans that you sh- could and should make. You often mention how the taxpayers end up footing the bill for delinquent loans. This is not true. Even after accounting for the 4% or so of late loan payments, the federal government makes a profit on student loans sometimes in excess of $50 billion a year. I agree with you that students and parents should use all available resources to keep loans moderate. However, in the spirit of full disclosure, your listeners should not be told that there is an undue burden on taxpayers from delinquencies. This is just not the fact. Very best regards, Jimbo. Jimbo, I appreciate that. I should update you that the percent of student loans that are now in delinquent status is roughly 10% of student loans. And... It is a, a problem for society with 1.4 trillion closing on a 1.5 trillion in outstanding student loan debt. The thing about the Fed's making a profit right now on student loans is, at best, an anomaly. It's an unusual. That was a big word for me. It's an unusual situation with prevailing interest rates that the federal government can borrow money at right now being substantially lower than the outstanding interest rates on a lot of outstanding student loan balances. And so that is creating an unusual circumstance with the feds making a profit on the outstanding student loans. But again, that's a temporary effect of a distorted interest rate environment. Clark, you need to be a little more liberal with your usage of that discount soap. I do recognize that part of what makes you such a smash hit on your show is that you're genuine and humble. But the reality is you use the phrase the reality is entirely too often. You tend to do this when you're defending your position during Clark Stinks, so it makes it even more pungent. The men in the fraternity were playing a drinking game, and every time you use that phrase, they had to take a shot of... Uzo, and they all had to turn their keys in for fear of drunk driving. No, that didn't really happen, but what if it did? On the other hand, if this is the biggest gripe I've got, you must be doing well because I do love to complain. Do I say that phrase a lot? Now, there was another one that you had to break me of the habit of years ago, Chris. I don't remember what word that was. I was using too much. Anyway, I, I apologize if I use that particular phrase too much, and I hope that that uh, make-believe story that is an affordable liquor that people were supposedly imaginatively drinking. Is that an expensive one? I don't know. Oh. Oh, Joel pulled it up. What is it, Joel? I've never heard of it. It's a Greek liquor, and I think it tastes like licorice. Yeah. Yeah. Gross. Not my flavor. Terrible. Okay. The heading on today's Clark email is, and we did have a lot of, this was a Facebook thing too, we had a lot of comments on this, um, five ways instant pot can save you money. Now that got my attention. Really, can you now buy instant pot? I assume it's only available in states where pot is legal. Does instant pot burn quicker and give us a faster high? I had to check that article. It turns out you were talking about a pressure cooker. Oh my. Did we really do a clickbait headline? No, not on purpose. No, it really was about, we had a story about instant hot pots and we had to fit it on the line. So there it is. Five ways my instant pot pressure cooker makes life so much easier. Oh, no, wait, 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 wait. It says five ways my instant pot pressure cooker makes life. This was how we had to. The picture of it is clear as could be. I think this is about the newsletter that went out where we have to have small headlines and, um, and maybe on Facebook too. So we apologize. We had no intention. So if we clickbaited you, I am sorry. We didn't, certainly didn't intend it because we don't assume that your audience would want to click on that anyway. They're more into saving money on cooking their meals at home. Oh, I don't know. 
There may be people who want to save money on pot. Sure. I Yeah. Republic Wireless. I am having the most trouble I ever have with a cell phone carrier. You highly recommend. It takes way too long to get a problem solved. The coverage is not as good as my last carrier. And now I can't even port my number back to my previous carrier. I paid $179 for a phone and I have to stay with their service or buy a new phone. What's up with this? We had a lot of, um, a lot of posts about cell phones this week. So I feel terrible that you have had a bad experience with RepublicWireless.com. They have just about the highest rating of any cell phone carrier when cell phone services are rated by various groups. And I know family members that use Republic Wireless who've been thrilled with it. I have tested it, did not have any problems. And I just feel bad for you that my... Uh, enthusiasm for them led you down a path that's cost you money, time, and aggravation. So on occasion, I'll read you a post from a frequent poster on the message boards who disagrees with your food choices, and I'm going to go ahead and read one of those this week. It's been a while. Clark, what kind of teaching or are you giving the suffering children when you mention your desire for sausage McMuffins? What does this tell them about the value of animals and their health? You mentioned credit karma. How about Clark comma, karma? Your diet and ethics with it flat out stinks. Thank you. So we're worried about the, the pigs? Oh, no, seriously. Is that I, the... I just spread it, man. All right. No, I, no, I want to address it. The animals, yeah. The value of animals and their health. Oh. Well... I'm not obviously not a vegetarian, and I know there are people who are very upset about, including this poster, who's very upset about animals being raised to provide food to other animals or to humans, and I, that's an area that's a blind spot for me, and I, it's going to be hard for me really to relate. They've got a beef with you. They're going to keep posting. Would you not do puns like Clark, that? Clark, your odiferous smell came from the advice you failed to give. A recent caller was in a bind, and he needed $15,000 for an upcoming expense. He had two choices. One, refinance his home and get $15,000 out of his equity. He would also drop his 24-year loan to a 15-year loan. Unfortunately, this would cost him $8,000 in fees. Or two, withdraw $15,000 from his Roth contributions. One of the two choices, the Roth, was the better one. Might I add a third one, Prosper.com. Depending on his credit score, he could have qualified for a reasonably priced Prosper loan. In addition, I would have advised him to pay extra on his home mortgage so that he would pay it off earlier than 24 years. He can afford the higher payment. Thanks, Thrifty. Thrifty, I appreciate that. And, you know, I am doing the experiment where I'm investing with Prosper and Lending Club. And they do offer loan rates for people with top credit scores lower than people can find elsewhere almost always. Clark, every time you mention free college, I have to start the Serenity Now chant to bring order back to my thinking. There is no free college. The tuition is paid by someone, and when the term free is used, that usually means the taxpayer. At the end of the day, it seems to me that higher education has become a predatory big business. Isn't it time that higher education became like the rest of society, with each institution competing for consumer dollars like every other business? Please don't say free college anymore. It is axiomatically wrong, and it is insulting. I don't mean to insult you, so let's talk about this. I believe the way that colleges would learn market discipline is if we ended the lending program for college loans. That what's feeding the huge tuition increases and the inefficiencies at college campuses are all the student loans. And we would recreate market discipline if colleges had to become ultra-efficient. On the issue of free college, particularly the Tennessee plan, where resident state residents can go to college for two years tuition-free, I bet you that that will generate more tax dollars for the state of Tennessee than what they spend in tax dollars 
providing the free community college. People who might have left the state will be more likely to stay in a more educated workforce targeted towards educational skills that employers are looking for will create a more productive, higher-paid workforce. Mr. Clark, I hear your advice on to new landlords to have separate LLCs for each property they own, but you never provide advice regarding larger portfolio landlords. I have 23 properties, and if I followed your advice, that would be very cumbersome to have to file papers and tax returns for separate LLCs, not to mention managing 23 checkbooks. You need to modify your advice for moderate-level landlords, more in the line of increased insurance, umbrella policies, and other advice for those of us that still self-manage larger portfolios and don't want to engage legions of accountants and managers so specifically the advice is for you when you have nearly two dozen properties if you hire one of the lawyers in your state who specializes in doing single property llc's you would find that the cost of creating those llc's would not be that expensive the advantage to you is that if you have each individual property in its own LLC and something happens at one of your properties, let's say a crime is committed or someone gets hurt or whatever, and there's a massive lawsuit, only that individual property is at risk. On the other hand, if you own all two dozen, approximately, of your properties all in one LLC, then they all stand to be at risk, potentially, against a large judgment and that's why the more properties you get the more there's a success tax that yes you do file returns for every individual property and you have the extra paperwork and legal expense and accounting expense all for the purpose of defensive protection of your assets I had known for some time that Clark had a now-deceased dog named Costco Wholesale, but only on a recent podcast did I learn that this dog was a pug. Pugs were bred as lapdogs for Chinese royalty. What's more important is that pugs believe they are royalty. I could see that one might consent to be named after Tiffany's or maybe one of those fancy shops on Rodeo Drive in Beverly Hills. If you found one with low standards, maybe Nordstrom. But there is no way any pug would lower him or herself so much as to take on the name of a discount warehouse store. You obviously didn't know your dog as well as you thought. I am shallow breathing. How could you attack Costco wholesale. May she rest in peace. She was so cute. Not the dog, the store. Oh, oh, oh. How could you attack Costco? I mean, you talk about a store that is service-oriented, may be all concrete floors and merchandise and the steel. They are a phenomenally customer-driven, customer-service-oriented company, perfectly suitable for a pug to be named after. I appreciate your posts and all your posts. Please go to Clark.com, go to Clark Stinks, and let me know when I have misnamed my dog. When you have a question for me on the Clark Howard Show, go to Clark.com slash ask. Joel, who did that? Clark, Steve wrote in. He said, what's the name of the laptop you recently recommended on the show? Well, it wasn't a specific name. It was a type known as a Chromebook. Well, I guess Chromebook is a name. Chromebook is a type of a whole new form of having a portable computer. And Chromebooks are lightning fast. As best any technology person can say, they are not subject to viruses. They go live on the internet in about four seconds from when you open them up. They are much faster than any of the Windows-based products or the Apple MacBook series of computers and they are just essentially a dumb terminal to take you on the internet there's no storage on them if you do things like word processing or database or spreadsheets you have to do cloud-based ones chromebooks are not just really really easy to use and really fast they are dirt cheap if you get a chromebook with an 11 point two-inch screen, I guess it is, they're in the marketplace not on sale at $150. You buy a 13.3-inch screen Chromebook not on sale, 
they're about 200 and about 219 and you get a 156 which is a pretty big bulky device to travel with that you're going to pay around 250 now that, remember those are not on sale prices the chromebooks routinely go on sale at 100 to 140 dollars and black friday there will be many Chromebook offers below $100. They are great for a student unless they have to use specific programs that the school requires. And in fact, a lot of school systems around the country are converting to Chromebooks from either being PC-based or MacBook-based because it is so much more efficient and so much cheaper for the school system. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for being here with us on The Clark Howard Show, where my goal is to empower you with knowledge so that you can make smart decisions with your wallet, so that you can keep more of what you make. Clark.com is our website. Our deal site is clarkdeals.com. I'm shallow breathing talking to you about what I'm about to talk to you about. And this came out of a discussion among our staff about how to make decisions with investing and who is adequately prepared to do that. And we have that conversation one day and the next day I read the report from TIA, which is a great organization, TIAA.org, which is an investment group principally for educators but open to anyone. And they did an extensive survey about Americans' knowledge of investing. And unfortunately, only one in every seven people, adults, have even the most rudimentary knowledge about how investing works. One in seven. And here's the terrible thing. Even as people age and the priorities become higher to be knowledgeable about investing, the sophistication of people as they get closer and closer to retirement does not appreciably rise. And this is even with a huge percent of people having had some form of financial education. Somehow it does not translate into good knowledge about investing. And I've been thinking about this and stewing on it and waited to talk about it because it means that the responsibilities you've been given are difficult for most people to deal with. Remember, very few people are in a position where you have roughly 85% of people who are not able to make educated decisions about how to invest. And so I struggle with that in what I do here for you. And I answer so many questions about investing, which was never a key part of this show, and I'm not an investment professional. Although I've been, in the, I've, uh, been involved in investing and in investing partnerships for my entire adult life. And so one of the things that came up when we were talking about this as a staff is there are things that are just really easy for some people and they just grasp it and not so much for others. And so investing is so automatic for me and the concept so easy for me, I forget that I probably come up short a lot answering your questions about investing. And so there are a couple of things I pledge to you here forward, and that is I'm going to try to do a better job whenever I explain an investing concept. Second, I am going to continue to improve how I provide information to you 
at Clark.com about investing. Third, I want to make sure you understand that if you do want to hire somebody to help you with financial planning, investing, looking at what your future is going to look like, please pay close attention to the guidance I have at Clark.com about the right way to hire somebody to give you financial advice. This is even more stark thinking about that 85% of people cannot test out on basic knowledge of investing. And so it makes you susceptible to being conned by somebody who's either going to put you in ultra-high-cost junk or worse, commit fraud against you and run off with your money. I want you to know the right way to vet somebody and hire someone. And fourth, when you are building your investments, when you're building up your savings and investments, typically through a a Roth or regular IRA or a 401k at work or 403b or whatever, if you are intimidated, bored by or whatever with making choices, stick with the simplest thing of all and put your money in a target retirement fund for the year closest to when you anticipate retiring. And that way, you don't have to have somebody advise you. You're buying something that automatically changes the mix with the proper level of risk as you get closer and closer to retirement, even from a very young age, having you very conservative later, but very widely in investments, younger. Charles is with us. Hello, Charles. How are you? Hi, Clark. Charles, you have a technology question for me. I do. I'm thinking about putting solar on my house with a battery backup system, and I just wanted to know what type of price points I should be looking at. Well, solar by itself has become, in much of the country, a no-brainer because the cost of the panels basically collapsed. The panels are so much cheaper now than they were, and the efficiency percent that the panels generate of from sun power to electricity is so much better than it was that solar works out really, really well. We have the benefit of having solar at our house, and our unit generates roughly around 2,400 kilowatt hours a month. Wow. So, so we're... Uh, you know, for a typical homeowner, not only is it generating all the power you need, it's even generating excess, which is where the idea of the battery packs come in, that you store right. your own excess. So the first part, putting in solar, I, I am not a fair person to ask because I believe in it so intensely. <laughs> right. And right now you get a 30% federal tax credit for your cost of putting in the solar, which bends the payback time chart so much. I mean, it shaves a big amount of years off of how long it would take you to make back the cost. Right. Unfortunately, we usually break even every year, so the the credit really wouldn't apply to us. Okay. Well, you could consider in that case doing a, a solar lease of a system. It's called. Right. Uh, no, I mean I've I've budgeted at least thirty five thousand to purchase a system. That's a um, lot. You must have a really big house. I not not really, but I want to be able to cover the majority of my power bill monthly, and like I said, have that battery backup because where we live, we tend to lose power quite often. And um, so then so getting the battery backup is brilliant because the cost of the, the battery packs to provide at least some level of power in your home is a tiny fraction of what it costs for you to have a standby generator at your house. Right. So okay. that, that makes sense. Don't tell any solar company that you budgeted 35000 because they'll figure out how to give you a quote somewhere <laughs> around that price. 
Right, right. And you may find that you need to spend substantially less than you thought to get a large enough system because there's enough competition out there. And again, the cost of the panels is so much cheaper than it was even two, two three years ago. Right, right. Um, okay. And not just the cost quote matters. You want to see what people are saying and reviews of any company you're considering hiring. Right. Okay. But I, I have a solar installation where it's uh, what's referred to as a solar farm that I had the space behind our house to put it on stilts, which is a cheaper form of install than putting it on the roof. Right. And are you in a position that you have the space that you would have a clear uh, shot of the southern sky? Unfortunately, I don't. It would have to go on the roof. Okay. All right. Well, even the roof installations, because of breakthroughs and continuous improvement, basically, in how the installations are done on roofs has made them quicker and cheaper. So, But again, I'm the wrong person to ask, because you could ask me any day of the week, hey, is it a good idea to put solar at your house? And I'm going to say yes, and one of the reasons I, I really like the solar installs, not just because I'm cheap, but a study has found that you will get substantially more for your house when you go to sell it because you have solar installed, because the buyer knows that they're not going to have normal utility bills every month because solar is there. So you got to find somebody else who'll be more skeptical. Barbara's with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Barbara. Hi, Clark. Thanks for taking my phone call. Certainly, Barbara. You are a generous soul. Well, I only have two grandchildren, and um, I have a little extra cash, and I want to help them on their merry way. And how old are your grandkids? I have a granddaughter, 10 years old, Riley, and I have a grandson, 7, Gavin. And are they both absolutely brilliant children? Obviously, in my eyes and in their parents' eyes, yes. And are they going to be college-bound? Yes, I'm I'm assured that that's probably uh, in their future, yes. The reason I ask that is that, because I knew they were brilliant, just automatically, (laughs) right? But the college-bound thing is that for a grandparent doing something for a grandkid financially, it's very hard to beat putting money aside for them for college. Yes. Because of the 529 plans. If you're familiar with that, where you... Yes, I am. I'm not, I looked at a little into it, and it's very confusing, um, specifically in the state of Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken, I think if you plan for um, a 529 in Connecticut, you kind of have to use it for a resident of Connecticut. Well, but, you don't, don't do that. I have a guide at ClarkHoward.com that simplifies it and walks you through step-by-step step okay. how to pick a 529 plan, and okay. I'll tell you one wrinkle the way colleges are acting towards grandparents that put money into a 529, if you trust your son or daughter, uh, your son-in-law, daughter-in-law, you trust the couple that they'll be responsible with the money, Right. you're best to gift the money to your son or daughter, and then they own the 529 for the benefit of your 10-year-old and 7-year-old grandkids. Okay. And... You're allowed to gift them up to twenty eight thousand a year. Okay. So I don't know what kind of money you were thinking of giving was, for the grandkids. I was thinking of starting a five thousand for each. Perfect. You can easily do that and gift that money ten grand to your son or daughter, and then have the accounts open for each of the grandkids. And look at my guide, and you'll see the plans that are the good plans, and then I've got hyperlinks there where you can just go directly to the electronic application to open one of the good plans. It is important that you know that, Barbara, a lot of the providers of 529 plans sell really rotten, terrible plans. There are less of those than there used to be, but you want to make sure you're getting one of the good plans And I recently have gone through and updated my plan guide, and I'm really confident in the choices I have there. 
Sally is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Sally. How are you? Fine. How are you? Great. Thank you, Sally. You bought one of the best vehicles sold in America. What did yes, you buy? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> what did you get? A Honda CRV. Oh, my sister-in-law got rid of a luxury car that she had and got a Honda CRV and loves, loves, loves that CRV and does not miss her ultra high-end luxury car at all that she got rid of. Well, we bought one almost 15 years ago, and we wouldn't even trade it in. We kept it because we always watch you, and you say, run them till they die. And so we got that one, but then we needed a newer, you know, so we just got a new one. But this one we got, and it's fully loaded. Now, you've always said don't buy the extended warranty. Uh, well, actually, we- let me let me say for cars— I've looked at that as a neutral thing. I say with electronics and appliances and computers, never buy an extended warranty because the math doesn't work in your favor. With cars, I've been neutral. Let me tell you why. With a car, many people, let's say something really terrible happens to that car. The engine blows. There are not that many people who could say, oh, well, $5,000 I got to pay to replace the engine. Right. Or a transmission or whatever. The stakes are completely different. It's not like a a $500 TV that croaks. It's a very expensive thing. But with a very reliable car, and obviously the CRV is incredibly reliable, that would tend to uh, discourage me from telling you to get an extended warranty. But, but I was wondering about just the um, electronics part, because it's got the whole navigation and, you know, everything. is. Uh, it's got the fancy radio, you know, all that. And we know nothing. Sure. You and know, I, I know, I, you know, I can't even operate the electronics in a car. <laughs> so let's go with that line of thought. The Honda comes with, what, a three-year warranty from Honda? It's three years. And so you were going to keep the car a long, long time. You buy an extended warranty. It's going to add, what, another couple of years to that? Right. I don't see the value for you because you'd be paying over and over again every time to renew. When you keep a vehicle 15 years, the money that you would be spending on the extended warranties, I think would be better used for you to pay for a repair when one is needed. Okay. Um, But again, that's my opinion. As far as a couple, how do you do saving money? Oh, excellent. So if you're good savers and you have the resources, it's a waste of money for you to buy an extended warranty. You only, think of an extended warranty like insurance. Right. You insure against what you can't afford to lose. Because you're really careful with money and you save money, you don't need to worry with that. You don't need to mess with it. So congratulations with the CRV. Hope it's a wonderful experience just like the last one. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show.